Well, good morning, Hope Church. Thanks for joining us this morning. And for those who are online, thanks for joining us. Hit that subscribe and like button. No, I'm just kidding. I've always wanted to say that watching YouTube videos. You know, (laughs) I don't even know if it's a thing, but maybe it is. Check it out. (laughs) If you hear someone say, watch out, what do you do? Normally, instinctively, you probably, you know, maybe not an all full out duck, but maybe just like a little duck, maybe put your hand up, guard your face, your head. Because uh, someone says that because there's maybe some imminent danger coming your way. And uh, they want you to, to beware. In our passage this morning, Jesus is yelling, watch out. Because there is danger heading our way. Not for our bodies, but for something that is so much more precious to him. Our hearts. You know, some parables are like riddles, kind of like puzzles, and you read it and you're kind of like, ah, what's he saying here? But in this one, he begins with the punchline. He opens up so that we know exactly what he's talking about. He is very clear. He wants to warn us about greed. Greed can be so dangerous to our hearts because it wants to replace God with anything else in our lives. Paul even calls it, in Colossians 3, because calls it outright idolatry. Replacing God. And Jesus is warning us because he knows what happens in our lives when we replace God, when we kick God about out of our hearts and out of our lives, that it never goes well for us. I think this passage is incredibly relevant for us today, especially as Americans who live with the American dream ever before us. I mean, it's everywhere. Lifestyles of the rich and famous. Who wants to be a millionaire? The Kardashians. I mean, if you look any, see any of that stuff, it's all about having stuff and more of it. Steve Farrar in Family Survival in the American Jungle years ago wrote this. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray my Cuisinart to keep. I pray my stocks are on the rise and that my analyst is wise that all the wine I sip is white and that my hot tub's watertight, that racquetball won't get tough and that my sushi's fresh enough. I pray my phone power still works and that my career won't lose its perks. My microwave won't radiate, my condo won't depreciate. I pray my health club doesn't close and that my money market grows. If I go broke before I wake, I pray my Volvo they won't take. I would love to be able to stand before you today and say, I don't wrestle with greed, but I can't. I do. And maybe most of you do too. It quietly and subtly enters our hearts and slowly begins to try to replace God. This morning, we're going to look at a parable. I encourage you to turn with me if you haven't done it yet. Luke 12, I'll begin reading uh, at verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Then he told them this parable. 
The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And then, and there I will store my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich toward God. You know, the context here in Luke chapter 12 is that Jesus is telling, uh, he's doing a sermon, and he's, he's talking about what to be concerned about and what not to be concerned about, what to worry about really and what not to worry about. And right in the middle of that, this man interrupts him and wants Jesus to make a, a financial judgment, tell my brother to divide the inheritance. Down throughout history, there have been innumerable families that have been destroyed over a thing such as the distribution of assets. According to the law that day, the elder brother would receive two-thirds and the younger brother one-third. But this man isn't asking Jesus to listen to both sides, make a righteous judgment. He wants to use Jesus against his brother. But you notice Jesus refuses to give a judgment, saying he's not an arbiter. He does not give a legal judgment, but instead he offers a more important judgment, a moral judgment. Jesus knew that this family feud over the inheritance was only a symptom of a greater problem of greed. In fact, the you in verse 14 is plural, indicating that both he and his brother have a problem with greed. And as long as that is the case, no one would ever be satisfied. No one would be happy. It wasn't their bottom line that needed to be changed. It was their hearts. Then in verse 15, he said to them, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions, but what a crucial verse for us to get down, isn't it? Be on your guard that your heart is not being drawn away from God. The word green means the lust to have more of one's fair share. A grasping for more that is never satisfied. Proverbs 21, 26. They are always greedy for more while the godly love to give. Ecclesiastes 5.10, those who love money will never have enough. How absurd to think that wealth brings true happiness. But isn't that what we're always tempted to think? More money will mean more happiness. Charles Swindoll pictures it this way. He says, picture a shipwrecked sailor in, in a life raft in the middle of the ocean who's, who's just dying of thirst. And so he starts scooping up the salt water to drink. But that only makes him more thirsty because it's salt water. And so he drinks more and gets more thirsty. 
until finally, paradoxically, he becomes dehydrated and he dies. When we fill our hearts with that which doesn't truly satisfy, it will shrivel our hearts up until we spiritually die. One's life does not consist of the abundance of his possessions. But greed tries to convince us just the opposite. Malcolm Forbes years ago reflected our society when he said, the one who dies with the most toys wins. But you know what? He died. And he now realizes that that is not true. Leo Tolstoy wrote a story about a successful peasant farmer who had enough, but he was never satisfied with enough. And so he was given an offer for a thousand rubles. He could buy all the land that he could walk around in one day. The catch was that he had to be end up in the spot that he started before the sun went down. And this was his golden opportunity. And so he took it, and so he took off, started walking really fast, walking, walking, and as he saw more and more land, starts jogging a little bit, thinking, all of this is mine. And so finally, mid-afternoon, he kind of thought, ooh, maybe <laughs> I've gone a little far. So he heads back. As the sun is going down, runs faster and faster because he needs to get back. Otherwise, all of it is lost. Gasping for breath, his heart pounding, he sees the finish line as the sun is going down. He calls upon every bit of strength left in his body and staggers across the line just as the sun is going down. And yet he collapses. Blood begins to pour out his mouth. And in minutes, he's dead. Those who were working for him dug a grave six feet long, three feet wide. The title of Tolstoy's story is How Much Land Does a Man Need? Beginning in verse 16, Jesus tells us a story referred to as the parable of the rich fool. I want to share with you four indicators that we can use to evaluate how we're doing against this battle against greed. And you know, this is, I know, a hard sermon to listen to because it's kind of a hard sermon to give because <laughs> I've had to wrestle with this for a couple weeks now thinking about it, what this means for my life, knowing that I sometimes am not doing very well. Do we have the courage to evaluate What's going on in our hearts this morning? The first indicator is that we stop giving God thanks for his goodness. As you heard this parable, did you hear him once thank God for what God had given him? I mean, he was already a rich man, and now he has a bumper of a crop, a huge crop. But does he take a moment and say thanks to God. When greed attacks the heart, we almost feel entitled. We feel we deserve it. We've worked for it. How many commercials 
do you see every week that use those exact words? You're entitled to this. You deserve this. You've earned it. You've worked for it. When greed attacks the heart, there's usually no thanks because it's really never enough anyways. This is a perfect example. He already had full barns, and yet no gratitude. You compare that with King David. When King David was about to, 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 to offer up really a lot of his resources to build the temple, this is how he prayed. Listen to this. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and to give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. Who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. That attitude is foreign to this rich fool. As this farmer looked at the amazing harvest, he totally lost sight of God's generosity. When you look at your money and your stuff, how often do you give God thanks? You know, Thanksgiving is not supposed to be a, just a one-day holiday. For us believers who know all that we have in Christ and God's goodness, it is to be a lifestyle. Daily fight against greed by giving thanks to God. Number two, we know we're losing the battle against greed when we stop consulting with God in our financial plans. Look what he did. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And he came up with a plan. He thought to himself is very key here. He does not take into consideration what God wants him to do with this extra. He doesn't pray about it. He doesn't consult God's word or God's law. He doesn't consider what God's will for this might be. It's all about his plans. You know, James writes about this in chapter 4, James 4, talking about someone who's deciding to go to a city and they'll do all this and spend all this and make all this money without considering what God's will is. Without saying, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. He goes on to say, but now in your arrogance, you boast, and all such boasting is evil. When we make our plans, we decide how to handle our, our resources. Do we consult with God it's the perspective that ultimately God is in charge and ultimately our job is to please him, to honor him, to worship him, to glorify him with all that we have, with everything. We need to make our plans with humility and with he and God in the middle of those plans. There's nothing wrong with saving and spending as long as we've consulted God about it. See, this farmer confused the idea of ownership and stewardship. It was not his to own. It was on loan by God. And he needed to consult with God. 
You know, a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night, you may go by the, the multi-purpose room and, and you may see the kids playing a game in there. It's called Gaga Ball. Maybe some of you have played it. And it's played in a Gaga Ball pit. Usually it's outside and, you know, already built into the ground. But, but this is a portable unit that they can play in the, in the winter, you know, when it's yucky outside. Well, last fall, there was a family who came to Deanna and Ross and said, you know what? We got this stimulus check. And you know what? We have enough. God has met our needs. And we've prayed about it. And we feel that God wants us to give some of this. Is there something in your ministry that's not part of the budget that you need that would be helpful, that the kids would love and would be a blessing to your ministry? And we want to give it. You know, that's a family that's winning against the battle against greed. Number three, the third indicator. We stop including others in the blessings we've received from God. You know, sometimes there's nothing wrong with building bigger barns. Sometimes that could be wise and prudent. The problem lies that in this whole parable, there's no thought of sharing this great blessing that he had just received. In the Greek, the personal pronoun my is four times and I eight times. It's all about his crops, his barns, his stuff. And look at his attitude. You have plenty of good things stored up for many years. Eat, drink, and be merry. That's never a good attitude to have biblically. There is no thought about helping the poor, the widows, the orphans, those who were out on their luck. There's no mention of, of tithing or giving a thank offering, supporting the temple and the priests. You know, the priests were forbidden from owning land. They couldn't own their own land because they were to trust in God's provision in the tithes that came into the temple for their livelihood. And yet this man doesn't consider that at all. As a matter of fact, you want to know God's heart? In the Old Testament, God told the farmers, when you go and harvest your grains or your grapes or whatever they are, leave some of it still on the plant. And let those who are kind of down on their luck to come through and to work for themselves, yes, put some energy in there, and to glean some of that crop for themselves so that they have something to eat. That is God's heart for the poor. And there's no indication that the farmer even did that. You know, that wouldn't make for a good John Deere commercial today, I'm sure. <laughs> you know, this combine is going to get every ounce of, no, this combine is going to leave some of your grain. No, that's not going to work. Ephesians 4.28, he who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with his hands that he may have something to share with those in need. And this man did nothing of that. You know, it's, uh, it's an indicator that sometimes what we're thinking about in our conversations, right, how much we think about ourselves or how much we think of others. It was reported that Eleanor Roosevelt could talk for two and a half hours without referring to herself once. On the other hand, it was reported that Elizabeth Taylor, the actress who is deceased now, 
would refer to herself every 90 seconds. You know, it's the same with our use of money. It says a lot about what's going on in our hearts. This parable does not condemn him for being rich, but for only thinking about himself. You know, a couple weeks ago, we were, uh, Dan and I were having a date night in, uh, in Applebee's and uh, had, had a nice meal. And at the end of the meal, the waitress came and we asked for the check. And she said, the check has been taken care of anonymously. You're free to go. See, we had met someone earlier that night who goes to Hope Church. Not sure if that person, but possibly. I don't know this person that well, but I know that they come across as an incredibly joyful person. Is that a coincidence? That someone who finds joy is a giving, generous person. I think someone who's discovered the truth is more blessed to give than receive. Someone who is learning to have the heart of God, who is a generous, gracious God. That that's what brings joy, not life consisting of your possessions. Number four, we stop storing up treasures in the right places. You know, the Bible says it's okay to store up treasures, but the question is, where are you storing up treasures? See, what was God's response to this man's plan? God said to him, you fool. You see, this isn't an indication of mental ability, but of spiritual discernment. According to Scripture, a fool is a man who leaves God out. Psalm 14.1, a fool has said in their heart, there is no God. But a fool is also someone who lives like there is no God. If there is no God, if there is no eternity, if there is no resurrection, if there is no kingdom of Christ, then by all means, eat, drink, and be merry, because that's all there is. But if as Christians we have that hope and that truth, that we know that this life is just a vapor, it's passing, that should cause us to live differently. Greek, greed is the logical result of the belief that there is no life after death. Sir Frederick Catherine said, we grab what we can while we can, however we can, and then we hold on to it hard. As opposed to what God says, hold on to these things loosely, but to hold on to him Hard. This man's a fool because he lived as if God didn't exist. He missed the point of life. The remarkable thing is this person today, we would call them a success. Might have his own TV show. But Jesus said, this very night, your soul, your life will be demanded of you. And the idea is there that your life is on loan. (laughs) It's given to you to use for a reason. He says it's going to be required back, and then who's going to have what you've prepared? 
Jim Elliott, the missionary who passed away being killed by those he was trying to reach, one of his most powerful quotes is this, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. A pastor was invited to a, a dinner at a, a home of a very wealthy man, and after the meal, they went out on the porch, and the man said, you know, 25 years ago, nothing, none of this was here. Looked over, and there's, there's oil fields on this side. That's, you know, that's all mine, and, and cattle on, on the north side, and that's all mine, and grains on the south, and a beautiful forest on the other back of the house. That, too, is all mine. And then he paused, maybe thinking the pastor would compliment him or congratulate him on his success. But he put his hand on one shoulder and his other hand, he pointed up to the sky. Not that heaven isn't actually upward, but he says, what do you have in that direction? To that, the man said, I never thought of that and hung his head. So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. It's kind of an interesting phrase, isn't it? Rich toward God. You know what? God doesn't want your money. He doesn't need your money. But he wants your heart. And he knows what money can do to it. He wants to be in the rightful place and have a relationship with you that is so deep and intimate where he can bless your socks off. That's what God wants. What does it mean to be rich towards God? I think it, part of it is regularly being rich in our thoughts of thanksgiving to God, regularly just thanking him for, for all his goodness that he's given to us. I think it means growing in our love for him over our love for money and realizing that he is the treasure, not our stuff. I think part of it is, is, is seeing that God has entrusted the things in our life to honor him and to glorify him and to point people to him. I think it means consulting God for how to use this stuff that we've been entrusted with so we can be faithful stewards. I think it means having a generous heart, allowing God to change our heart to be more like his so that we can reflect his presence to those around us. I think it means valuing what he values, and we know he loves the church and died for the church and the mission of sharing the good news to those who so desperately need to hear it. Investing in the church and in the mission. I think part of it means being heavenly minded and holding on more and more loosely to this stuff. Working on being rich in good deeds and in generosity as opposed to just building bigger and bigger barns. Knowing that how we handle what God has entrusted on this earth will impact the next. How can we have victory over greed? Apart from Christ, we can't. I mean, this is what our hearts will want to go to, our sinful hearts. But that's why Jesus came. He came to die to forgive us for all those greedy moments in our life. 
every one of them, where we tried to push him out. Not only that, but, but he died to loosen greed's grip over our heart so that we can have victory and experience what is truly life. He died to show us that there are so many more important things in life and that we can have victory as we allow his presence into our life, that he begins to change our hearts more and more to be gracious and generous and good. Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the fullest. That's when we experience what true life is, when we have Jesus residing in our hearts, impacting every aspect of who we are. That's where true joy comes from. Are you experiencing that joy? Or are you experiencing the emptiness that life has promised, stuff has promised, greed has promised? Well, that's the good news for you today. Jesus is here, and he's willing to change all that and fill your heart with his presence. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for uh, your word, the portions that are so encouraging and share about your love for us and your grace for us and the mercy that you are willing to pour out for us because we are sinful people, Lord, and we don't deserve any of it. But you have been so gracious to come and to rescue us. And we thank you for your promises of victory, your promises of life after death, of your gift of joy and peace that can only come from you. But Lord, we also thank you for these passages that are more challenging, like this one this morning. Your warnings to us because you love us and you want our hearts to be guarded. And so Lord, I pray for your spirit to speak to each of us this week as we evaluate our lives and our stuff and most importantly, what's going on in our hearts. Lord, give us this victory so that we are not like this man who dies a fool, but can truly find the joy and life that you bring. In Jesus' name, amen.